0: Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Nicole Dawes, founder and CEO of Late July and Nixie. Growing up on the counter of her mother's natural food store in the 1970s and the factory floor of her father's company, Cape Cod Potato Chips, Nicole knew that becoming a natural products entrepreneur was her destiny. In 2003, Nicole founded Late July Snacks, one of the first brands to carry the USDA organic seal. Nicole has dedicated her life to transforming the food industry by creating delicious organic options. Now, Nicole is proud to bring you Nixie so you can trust that the sparkling water you've been buying for you and your family isn't made with synthetic solvents, carriers, or artificial preservatives. In this episode, we talk all about Nicole's entrepreneurial journey from a young age to building late July and eventually selling to Snyder's. Nicole shares all about the roller coaster moments of her first business, working with her dad, what it was like selling, and now starting the second time around, tips for leading her team over the years, and how she takes care of herself and her family while balancing it all. I had so much fun catching up with Nicole and hearing all of her stories. I could totally relate. Keep listening to learn more. If you haven't had the chance to try our grain-free granolas yet, head on over to Walmart to now find them in the gluten-free, healthy living aisle in select Walmart locations. Our grain-free granolas have crunchy clusters of nuts, superfood seeds, and creamy nut butters, all baked with organic coconut oil and sweetened with coconut sugar. They are gluten-free, paleo, and keto certified. Use the link in the note section to find Purely Elizabeth products at a Walmart store near you. Nicole, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you on. As we were just saying before we started recording, it's so wonderful to speak with another founder. And you are someone who I have just admired so much in the industry. You are an OG, one of the first brands in organic, and you've done it once and now you're doing it again. And just an incredible female founder and CEO. So welcome.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. You know, it's just such a treat to get to talk to another founder and, you know, obviously I'm such a huge fan of yours. So, <laughs> like it makes this even more special.
0: So fun. Well, you know, we always start the podcast with your beginning journey, but your beginning journey really started in childhood with both of your parents. So, I'd love for you to take us back to your childhood and what it was like with a father in the food manufacturing business and a mother in the natural food space. You know, obviously I feel really grateful
1: for the background that I had because it influenced me in so many ways to do what I'm doing today. But, you know, my mom had a health food store in the 70s and, you know, so much of kind of how I feel, my relationship with food and my relationship with sustainable food in particular, I got from those like early days hanging out in my mom's natural food store. I mean, I think it's interesting though, it influenced me in kind of other sort of profound ways, which was my dad was a real foodie. I mean, he he started uh, Cape Cod potato chips and, you know, my dad was the kind of person who would go to like eight different stores if that's what it took to make like uh, whatever his recipe that he was working on. And the one thing that I never could wrap my head around about my mom's natural food store was, I mean, everything kind of like looked bland and tasted a little bit bland. You know, the big treat in my childhood was like carob covered rice cakes and, you know, tempeh sandwiches. And And was your dad into eating all of that? No, he wasn't. And he he, he was supportive of my mom. And he liked the idea of healthy food and like caring about what you eat. But like he, he really loved to create different recipes and he, he was really into like the way the food tasted and like, you know, how you combine different ingredients. And, you know, whereas my mom was more focused on just the health and the sourcing and and we were macrobiotic even for a while. So oh, wow, that's so cool. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, it's just like they approached it from two very different places.
0: Foodies in different ways.
1: Right. They had the same goals. Like everyone wanted fresh, healthy food, but My mom sort of was focused on health and my exclusively kind of, and my dad was more focused on taste and freshness. And so like, you know, the other thing that I, you know, never really appreciated as a child, it was, you know, just because like, I want to eat organic and I want to eat healthy doesn't mean like I want my packaging to be bland and boring and the graphics to look like brown cardboard boxes, you know, like I, I appreciate fun packaging. And I don't think those things like have to be linked. And for so many years in the natural product space, they were, you know, it's burlap and cardboard and, you know, that's what natural products were associated with. And so, you know, as I look back on like this kind of combined experience, like from the counter of my mom's natural food store to my dad's potato chip company, I think my takeaway was make foods healthy, make them organic, but also make them beautiful and make them as delicious as possible because there's nothing that sets back the natural foods movement more than when products taste bad. Totally. You know, that's a step in the wrong direction. So I have like built my career around making organic, sustainable foods and beverages be as delicious as possible to try to bring more people into our movement. And, you know, because I think overall that like helps grow the mission when people love the way it tastes.
0: Absolutely. I could not agree more. It's all about like not having that trade-off. It shouldn't have to be a trade-off.
1: No, it absolutely shouldn't be a trade-off because you're going to lose people in the long run.
0: Totally. And it's it's certainly in a much better place than it is today. But you know, even when I started in 2009, it, that was my reasoning for getting in too. It was like gluten-free. It was such a trade-off that you had to make with not only ingredients, but taste and all the things. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it just...
1: And I think people settled for that because there was nothing else available.
0: You know, I mean, it's like
1: if you were trying to follow a specific dietary, if you had dietary restrictions or, you know, you really were putting the environment first, you know, you were willing to make those trade-offs, but to like make that tent
0: as big as possible, you you can't, there can't be a trade-off. Yeah. So was your dad always in food or- who who started in the industry first, your mom with the store or your dad? My mom. My dad
1: was somebody who was I mean, he was always going to be an entrepreneur of some kind. I mean, he was a real interesting person. He put himself through college working on a fishing boat where he also was like the cook on the fishing boat. You know, he hitchhiked from Massachusetts to Alaska to Oh my god. Work on another fishing boat, but then he ended up with his friend who didn't get the job. So instead of him doing the one fishing job and his friend doing a different job, they both just became firefighters.
0: <laughs> Change of events.
1: Yeah. I mean, he was just a, you know, um, he did not follow a straight line with his career path, but he was always interested in food. You know, he was always interested in, you know, he loved to cook. Yeah. You know, I think that, and I think because my mom at the health food store, you know, he saw the same thing I did, which is like everything in there was just kind of bland and, you know, boring. And, you know, he felt like potato chips was something that really just should be natural. Like there's no reason to use a bad oil. There's no reason to add strange ingredients to it. So the whole idea behind Cape Cod potato chips was that it was just like an all natural, very clean ingredients, you know, simple recipe handmade they are the best potato chips that was his whole idea you know i mean i think you know he wasn't guided by health necessarily mm-hmm. but he was guided by clean ingredients and you know just simplifying the process sure. and doing it by hand and craft and you know really putting that care into like what the product tasted like so my mom was definitely first um in the food world but my dad you know, he, again, he was like destined to be an entrepreneur. I mean, we didn't have any money. A small natural food store in the seventies was in a rich quick scheme. <laughs> On Cape Cod, nonetheless. No, it was not. And, you know, my dad was, I mean, he had done a bunch of different jobs um, when he got like the harebrained idea to start a potato chip company. <sighs> and so, and it was a terrible disaster at first. I mean, honestly, it could have gone out of business at any moment in those first few months. And I'm pretty sure, like everyone in my family's life was convinced that, you know, this was the worst thing that my dad had ever done because they had a child. you know, they had no money. and he was now like risking whatever little money they had on a potato chip company, which back then, remember, that's not like people didn't what do year that. was this that he started? He launched July 4th, 1980, actually, you know, it wasn't like there was like a million little craft CPG companies back right. then. Like that just wasn't a thing that people really did, you know, particularly also on Cape Cod but right. Luckily, it was summer. So that kind of helped, but it, you know, obviously it was like, that wasn't a overnight success to say the least. So was that part of the naming of late July having anything to do with that? So my dad had another company called Chatham Village Foods also. And he'd always use like geographic names for his companies. And I love that because I I mean, I love the Cape. It's where I'm from. It's where I am right now. And consider myself sort of a ocean person. And I feel very lucky that this is, you know, kind of my home. But I also feel like part of what makes it special is, you know, it's summer. So, you know, when I was trying to encapsulate that feeling of what makes this such a special place to me late July was sort of that moment I mean it's that sweet spot of summer you know if you're a kid you're not thinking to go back to school yet you know you're but you're also in like Groove of summer so you're finally a little bit relaxed
0: it is the best you know
1: my husband's from New Orleans and, and we work together and New Orleans doesn't have that same feeling about late July because it's like hot <laughs> right but as I was talking to him about it you know even in a place like New Orleans, in late July, you know, you're it's even though the obviously the weather is not we're not talking like Cape Cod level, in the weather department, but, you know, you're taking extra time off, you're spending more time with your family and friends, if you're a kid, you're still out of school. So, you know, even if you don't have like, the Cape Cod summer experience, late July is still sort of a special moment for most people.
0: Absolutely.
1: You know, that's why we went with it.
0: All right. So you are growing up in this foodie world. And From what age did you say to yourself, like, I'm going to start a food company or what was that like?
1: You know, it's so like, I think in hindsight, I always knew it's what I wanted to do. I mean, I loved, I mean, Cape Cod potatoes, I I think, I I think of it like a sibling kind of, you know, like I grew up, I really grew up.
0: And did you grow up working there?
1: I mean, you know, to the extent that a little kid, I mean, I was there all the time. Cause we, you know, we never, like my parents didn't really have help with me. So, I mean, and they both worked there. I mean, eventually my mom went to work there too. So, I mean, it was just like, I was always there. So, I mean, I don't know, like I, I loved that place. Like it really like felt like home. And so I, my first food company when I was 12, actually, I started a cookie company with my best friend and we had a customer, which was a deli in our town, which <laughs> I can't believe this is like, <laughs> like a thing, but we used to deliver twice a week to this deli and they would sell our chocolate chip cookies at the, at the register. And, you know, my dad helped me work out the margin and, you know, we figured out what to charge. We kept all the books. I mean, you know, I had a P and L the whole thing. That's amazing. I don't know. Like I, I just, I love, I love the occasions around like food, you know, like I, I feel like the fact that we can make a product that people go and enjoy with their family and friends, and you're like a special part of their life. I mean, it's just such a, such a cool thing that that's what I get to do for my job. I I don't know if I always knew this is what I wanted to do, but
0: I mean, I never guess really seriously considered anything else. Totally. Do you still get, every time you go to the store and see your product on the shelf, do you still get excited by it? Yes. Like, (laughs)
1: I get so excited, and I mean, and the funny thing is, like, my dad passed away, uh, like I, mean, I guess quite a while ago now. But like, there's some stores where I'll go and I'll see, like, late July and Nixie and Cape Cod Potato Chips and even Chatham Village Foods, and it's like it just makes me feel like close to him. And That's so sweet, you know. I mean, and if I ever see anyone like buying one of my products, like, oh, I mean, I don't think do people... you say
0: something to them or do you just watch it.
1: Some if I have coupons with me, I do because yeah. I love. I love to give people a coupon to get it for free if I like happen to see it. But I don't think people realize like how grateful like as a founder we are for every single time someone purchases our product. It's mm-hmm. like I don't take any single purchase for granted. Like it's, I mean, every time someone makes a choice to buy, you know, my product at the store. I mean, that is so huge and. And if I see it, yes. I mean, you know, obviously trying to be too much of a stalker, but. <laughs> in fact.
0: But it is. It's like, it's, I feel like every time I see it, it's like the first time that I've seen it. Like, yes. it's on the shelf. Oh my God. Someone's no, putting same. it in their cart.
1: And honestly, I do that with like friend companies too. I'm sure you yeah. do that. Like, you know, if I see like a big display for a friend or if like, you know, I see someone buying it, I mean, I'll text them. Totally. And, I mean, it's just. It's so cool. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I'll ever. I mean, even with late July, I mean, though I sold it, I mean, I'm so proud of that company. And like, I, yeah, I don't know, like I still feel super proud every time I see it anywhere or someone buying it. So
0: as you should, it's an incredible business that you built and and sold. So let's get into a little bit about the beginning of late July. I actually didn't realize that you started with crackers. So I'm curious to hear because we too did not start with granola and people are always surprised to hear like, whoa, what did you start with? So I'm curious to hear how or why you went from just doing crackers into chips becoming such a big piece of the business.
1: You know, it it was a very interesting evolution. First of all, you know, snack food is like potatoes is like, obviously what I know. But my dad was very like, apprehensive about me going back into snacks. It's just a really tough business. It's like,
0: yeah, was he like, what are you doing starting your own company to begin with? Or he was supportive?
1: No, he was super supportive of that. But he was nervous about like, he he liked the cracker category because it wasn't as competitive as chips, it was a little more forgiving. And the reason we started with crackers is I was actually pregnant with my son who's 21 this summer wow. and I was living in New York City and I was wandering around looking for crackers because I wanted saltines, organic saltines. And it, in, in my neighborhood in New York, I had like four natural food stores in like a very close proximity. Where were you living? In New I York? was living on 13th Street. So like right in the Union Square area and um, none of them had... Organic crackers of any kind, and like the more I died, like I like I explored the category more in depth. And not only did they not have organic, it was like the aisle that time forgot. You know, it was like you walked on the perimeter, and there was all this beautiful organic produce and organic dairy, and and then you walked on the cracker aisle, and it was like I'd walk back into a time machine in my mom's nineteen seventies natural <laughs> food store, and I was like, what is happening in this aisle? Like, why? Does all, why, why does everything look and taste bad? And it's also not organic. Like they weren't even using, you know, organic anything. And so I realized that like, I'd kind of, you know, stumbled into an opening. And as you know, the most important step to like starting your company is just a step.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like you, you're going to pivot, you can evolve, like
0: you don't need to have the whole business plan, no, but you
1: got to start, right? You somehow got to start. And so to me, this was my opportunity and it was a real need I had. And I figured if I have this need, you know, other people will too. And um, so, I mean, lucky for me, I, it was the thing people wanted. It was so funny though, when we launched, I mean, we had this beautiful packaging and our products tasted like I thought, you know, like regular crackers like that you would buy in the conventional aisle. I mean, they were, you know, crispy and, you know, like all the things that you wanted. And one of the first things people wrote about late July, it was that, that column that used to be called supermarket sampler. Uh And one of the people who was like the junk food junkie, half of the team, Said, like, what was Nicole Bernard Dawes thinking? Like, she like name-dropped me. Oh my gosh. And said, like, no one who buys natural foods wants it to taste conventional. Like these should have hemp or ginseng in them or something. And I'm thinking, I mean, first of all, it's so insulting and completely unnecessary. Like, right. why call me out like that? Like, I mean, I'm really? a like, new entrepreneur. Like, I just started this <laughs> company. So like, I'd be yeah. a jerk for no reason? But also, like, so not true.
0: Right. Like the exact opposite.
1: Yeah, people, just because I like, I want to eat sustainably, it doesn't mean that I don't want to taste delicious and look pretty. Right. So, but it, I obviously, like, am I the only one that does no one else feel this way? <laughs> like, that must have been pretty insulting early on. Yeah. But it was like, literally, like, almost immediately, too. It was oh like our God. first. But then Florence Fabricant, who was the food writer at the New York Times, did like a, like a big, pretty piece on us. And I was like, okay, so not everyone agrees with this. And then the reason we pivoted into chips was because I actually had a son in the my second son, who ended up having some pretty serious food allergies. Um, He was like, anaphylactic to um, peanuts and tree nuts. And I'm also lactose intolerant. And, you know, I just I felt like crackers could not be inclusive foods without doing things that they didn't want, like you had to really make some modifications that I thought made them taste bad. You know, I thought it was very difficult to make them fully like, you know, foods for everybody without doing things to them that I didn't like. Whereas with when you use corn, you know, you can easily make things gluten free, you can easily make things allergy free. And to me, this felt like a great way, a great extension for what, like, I wanted Late July to be, which was a company for everybody that cared about the things I cared about. And, you know, it allowed me to make products that were, you know, inclusive and really almost anybody could eat. And, you know, it fit with our mission of being healthy, delicious, and also, you know, organic.
0: What was it like being one of, I think I've heard this that you're really one of the first brands utilizing the USDA organic symbol. Yeah. That, right. And then I would yeah. think especially in corn tortillas, like having organic in that category must have been huge.
1: Yeah, you know, we were we launched with the seal. Like our wow. like we never didn't have the USDA organic seal on our on our products. And um, you know, it was interesting because when we first started, it was really hard to get certified organic ingredients, obviously, because yeah. we were kind of launching all together with the seal. And, you know, it was very limited, we had to do a ton of like, really intense R&D for things that should be simple, but wasn't because no one else was doing it. As a consumer, you wouldn't know how hard the R&D was, because it wasn't something you could really see. But like, you know, just like the dough conditioners, we couldn't use in flour and like, you know, organic flour changes, it's, you know, you know, it's, percentage of just like the way that, that it protein percent, like every batch is a little different, but you can't use a lot of the processing aids that can conventional can use. And, but like a consumer doesn't
0: really see how complicated. Right. Or even understand how hard it is just to get the organic ingredient period. Right. Like that. It was challenge. definitely, tricky. but,
1: and, you know, it's interesting because it was new, And organic, I think, is such a complicated concept for some people, too. Like, all natural is easier to understand. Even non-GMO, I think, is a little easier to understand. And so there was just so much confusion around what it meant initially. And, you know, I mean, it was like, I remember we were doing a parade one time, and we were handing out crackers. And I heard, like, a mom tell her kid, oh, no, we don't eat organic in our family. (laughs) Okay. You know, so it's just like a lot of that in the early days. Yeah. Understand what it meant. And I think that's true with organic in general. Like it's, you know, we still have such a long way to go to help people understand like why it's important, what, like why I do it, what's, what it's for, because it is a little bit of a tricky concept.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. And now you're adding like regenerative organic to it, which is also making it complicated and a whole other conversation.
1: Yeah. I I don't think we
0: have time in this. No, (laughs) that's, that's like a part two. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Since the beginning, Purely Elizabeth has been committed to the healing power of food. We believe there's a direct connection between the health of our farms and soil and the health of our food. That is why I'm so excited to announce our newest product launching. Our number one selling original ancient grain granola is now available in an 18 ounce value size made with regenerative organic certified coconut oil and coconut sugar. For those who are not familiar with regenerative agriculture, it focuses on improving soil health, which is known to help improve crop yields, biodiversity, carbon emissions, and water conservation. You can find our value size at your local Whole Foods market or on our website at purelyelizabeth.com. If you're interested in learning more about our sustainability journey and how it impacts the delicious food you enjoy, please visit purelyelizabeth.com journey enjoy. So as you were building the brand, was there a moment in time where you, and we were kind of talking about this before we got started, but a real pivotal point where you were like, okay, this is really, we're going to make it. And like, this is going to be something massive or was it always just, how were you envisioning it as you went along? I mean,
1: I think As an entrepreneur, like I tend to be very in the moment, you know what I mean? Like, it's just because you're, you're like in a constant state of triage kind of, you know, like every day you just wake up and deal with whatever the million problems you have that day are.
0: But you don't know what, what those are going to be.
1: You never know ahead of time. So that's (laughs) why it's like, literally you walk in and you're like, all right, let me see all the patients. Game on. Right. And so I think, you know, at late July, we had a lot of really early success right out of the gate. Because we were kind of the first, you know, like we got national distribution of Whole Foods, like you know, like right, just so much stuff happened right away. And then, I mean, not very similar to what I think we're experiencing now in this country—not pandemic, obviously—but we had a recession in 09. and it was just a devastating year for late July. I mean, we really, I mean, our growth slowed almost stopped. I mean, we did—we had positive growth, but it was a tough year. My father passed away. We had our loan called because he, we had a death of a member clause in that loan. We weren't part of it, but there was a huge peanut butter recall. And because one of our products had peanut butter, it oh. was still being from shelves. Like, I mean, it was like
0: one thing after another, one
1: of our main ingredients, like burned in a warehouse fire. I mean, it just literally was like every single possible thing that could go wrong in one year went wrong all in the same year.
0: And how did you deal with that? There's
1: one thing that I think is just great entrepreneur advice. And how I dealt with that year was, I think it was like a Lincoln quote. I don't know. pretty sure he said this, but it's like, it's basically like your commitment to success is what ultimately determines how successful you're going to be. And I put that in the same camp as like, you wake up every day and decide to have the kind of day you want to have, basically. You know, and, you know, and it's like, those are two things like I kind of live by. And so even as bleak as it was that year, I don't think there was any moment where I ever said, we're done.
0: We're closing up shop.
1: Yeah. We're done because it's like, I always knew that we would figure it out. Like we would just take the next step and the next step and the next step. And I mean, ultimately we managed to get, get out of that year Um, that's when we decided to like basically bet the entire company's future on the launch of the, the chips. And, you know, we honestly never looked back. I mean, it was like, we went from our like lowest point to our highest point within a 12 month period, essentially. And that's incredible. You know, you have to be kind of like that, I think, to start a business because so many terrible things happen (laughs) on a little daily basis that you have to have that, like that will to succeed, you know, you have to. That like, and you also can't, you cannot let the negativity ever take over because if you do, you're
0: done. It's almost like an, I don't want to say like an unrealistic optimism, but you have to be like on the cusp of this like crazy optimism that you just believe in it so strongly to your core that nothing's standing in your way. Like you said, it's just figuring out the next thing and the next thing
1: yeah it's true. I mean, and it you know there's a little bit of delusional optimism for yeah. sure not gonna it's true, but I think that that's also, and you know the other thing that now that I'm like on round two is I realize that you know those instincts that we have, and it's you know, like whatever it is you wake up, you solve your problems, whatever it, it, that's not like those aren't instincts anymore, you know, like you've been doing it for fourteen years, I've been doing it for twenty plus years you know, that's experience. Like we now have experience that teaches us what to do next. Yeah, And, you know, let's hope we've learned a thing or two. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because I also think that every entrepreneur year, it's like dog years, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I mean, I don't know if it's seven years, seven to one, but, you know, you pack it
0: in, in an entrepreneur year. Totally. So you eventually go and sell the business? And was that part of the plan or how did that happen? And what was that like for you selling your baby?
1: It wasn't, it wasn't like part of the plan. Like I never start a company with a plan to sell it because that's, you shouldn't, because you don't know right what the future's going to hold. Did you have investors? We did. We had investors and we had wonderful investors. I mean, really just absolutely fantastic investors. Um, we had a strategic investor, um, Snyder's the pretzel company. And then when they got bought by Campbell's, that was ultimately what precipitated our sale to Campbell's. And, you know, it's like, I would have loved to have kept, I love that company. And you know, obviously when you sell, a lot of times you have to do a non-compete. But honestly, I don't even think they needed to have me do that because I didn't want to compete with that company. I think it's yeah. a perfect company. You know, I wanted to succeed. I don't want to make it not succeed you know, I root for it every single day. And, you know, I, I am, I mean, I, I, it was such a strange transition to like move on from late July.
0: Did you move on right away or did you stay on?
1: I moved on pretty right away. I mean, it was, that's what they want. I mean, I stayed for like a couple months, but. Basically. Which is
0: probably, do you think that was easier looking back?
1: Yeah, because, you know, ultimately like I'm probably not a big company person. Yeah. And, you know, they, they, they had, you know, they knew what they wanted to do. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, but
0: I feel like it would be so hard to, like, in my head, I'm like, well, I would want to stay on, but it would be so hard to see other people doing things with your baby. And I think it depends on how
1: you stay on. Yeah. Like, if they literally want you to run it, that'd be one thing. maybe. Sure. But if you're just more of a creative director, I mean, right. I think that's when it gets tricky you know, I mean, as entrepreneurs, like we have to recognize that we have strengths and weaknesses and listening to other people might not be one of my strengths. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, like, again, I think I did start Nixie, like almost right away afterwards. That's maybe the only thing I wish I'd waited, like taking a little bit of time off.
0: At what point did you have the idea for Nixie? And then how quickly after did you start? I mean, almost right away.
1: Okay. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, we didn't like, I mean, it took us a while to R&D everything and, you know, but I mean, my husband and I have now worked together for so long and, you know, it's like, you know, all this stuff, it's like, I hate to waste it. You know I mean? It's like, I I took all these years to learn all these, I made so many mistakes. Mm -hmm. Like I have to, you know, put those to, to work now. And, you know, a lot of our team, they weren't keeping either. So, you know, we had some built-in employees and, It took us a while to like do the R and D on Nixie, so we didn't actually hit shelves until December of 2019, which was just in time for the perfect timing. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) so couldn't um, be more perfect. Yeah, really, that was a fantastic little turn of events. But
0: well, I love the brand that you have created, and I believe you guys use Tarmac to do your design, which we use them just to do our rebrand. So I think you did a phenomenal job on that. It's a fabulous product that you have. So two things that you just said that I'd love to dive into. One is the mistakes and the lessons you've learned that you really have now taken into Nixie. And then the other one is about team and really the fact that, you know, you've built an incredible business, built an incredible team and culture and brought some of those people with you to Nixie, which says so much about you. So I'd love to hear, let's start with that. I'd love to hear about what you learned as a leader um, at late July that you have brought to Nixie and any tips around leadership.
1: You know, I think that it's just, it's such a different world than it used to be with like hybrid work environments. And, you know, one of the things I think I'm still trying to figure out is how you help nurture young talent yeah in like a hybrid environment.
0: What is your hybrid situation? We're all over the place. Okay. We're fully remote or
1: no, we have an office and we're actually going to be opening a second office. And we we have pockets of people in different places. But you know, at late July we really had one office where everyone was together. But you know, I do think that's really old fashioned. You know, that's mm-hmm. not the best way to work. But I do think it is the best way to help nurture young talent because you learn and grow so much faster when you can like be with a mentor.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: like the one thing that I can't quite figure out how to translate perfectly in like a hybrid work world, you know, because that's, I think, was a big it's part Really it. hard. It is really hard. And then so many of the mistakes I made. I mean, I don't think we have enough time to dive into <laughs> all of them, but, you know, it's like... I think one of the biggest ones is, you know, there were so many things I thought, like let leave it to the experts, right? You know, other people that know more than me about different things. And you know, in hindsight, sales was one of those areas where I, I had a lot of apprehension in my early days. Because I did not feel like I was good at sales, and I'd never really done it, and I'm also
0: kind of an introvert. So. I was gonna say we talked about when we chatted last how we're both an introverts, and that was probably we probably hadn't met.
1: Yeah, um, totally, so that's right? so
0: funny, <laughs> and I felt the same way at the beginning about sales.
1: Yeah, I just like I honestly like when I was in college, I actually did sales for one of my dad's companies. And I like have this vivid experience, like sitting outside a store for like 30 minutes, because I was like, too afraid to go in. (laughs) And that's something that just like, as I look back, and obviously, I didn't do that with Nixie. As the founder and CEO, like you are and have to be the best salesperson of your product. Which isn't to say you shouldn't have amazing salespeople on your team, because you should. And Technically, I think they're a lot better than I am at, like, you know, not dropping the ball and doing everything the right, right. way. Doing all the, yeah. Future customers actually get what we promise. But you have to be the most passionate advocate for your products. And I was so afraid to do that in the early days at Late July. And I trusted brokers about, you know, the way customers wanted to hear information. And, you know, even when it didn't seem right to me. And, those are lessons that, you know, probably cost me like years with certain customers. Like I actually had a broker tell me that Costco didn't like to meet with founders.
0: Which That's is the crazy. most outrageous. Right, which is like the exact opposite.
1: I know. And, you know, I it didn't seem right to me at the time. And they like weren't inviting me to the meetings and I, but I trusted them because yeah. they had more experience and, uh, but the reality was they just wanted to control the relationship and they were also telling Costco that I didn't want to come. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it was just a double whammy, but, but again, I, you know, I didn't fight it because I also didn't, I was afraid. Like I didn't have
0: the like confidence to think I could be good at sales. But also a good lesson of like deep in your gut, you knew that it wasn't right. You know think did I
1: mean that didn't seem right mm-hmm. and you know and I think that's the thing like i it's taken me years to realize and I mentioned this earlier but it's like those instincts I mean it's just experience right you've been yeah. doing it long enough like you gotta trust your experience if something doesn't seem right it's
0: probably not <laughs> totally so it must have been so exciting for you to really start Nixie and think about like like I just think if I were to start from the beginning I mean even simple things of deductions or this or that, like, you're like, I know all this stuff now. And here's all the things that I can at least not waste like the mental energy on and really being able to focus on driving the business and, and what makes you excited about it.
1: Yeah. And I mean, simple things, like you said, like, I mean, I resisted paying, spending money on data for years at late July, because it just seemed like such a waste of money. Right. Out of the gate, we got data. (laughs) At Nixie, because I was like, you know, we need to know what our best sellers are. We need to know what, what our velocity is. Like we need to see our, you know, like because you can't fix problems if you don't know about them. Totally. And so, you know, I I mean, we bought data like basically out of the gate. I mean, just all the software stuff that, you know, I didn't waste time trying to figure out. You know, like, I mean, we have our Expensify, Gusto for Payroll. Like, I mean, it just- Just like the systems in place. Yeah, I mean, that part was just a thousand times easier the second time around, obviously. I mean, those are sort of the unsung heroes of, I guess- right. <laughs> <laughs> But the but, important I mean, things. It is. And those do help with, um, you know,
0: hybrid too, because everything's, you know, well, accessible yeah. anywhere. So what was the inspiration for Nexi?
1: Well, again, it was very similar- in a lot of ways to, you know, kind of what inspired Late July. But throughout all of Late July, we were always being displayed and doing partnerships with beverages. And one of the things that we very quickly realized is that, you know, if you walk in next time you're in the supermarket, like walk down the beverage aisle, again, it's like shockingly behind the times. You know, it's just filled with single use plastic, first of all, for no reason. I mean, there's absolutely no need to have that much single-use plastic in in the beverage business. Yeah. I mean, it's filled with sugar, and there was almost no organic. And I think that if we're looking at like the aisle that's going to have the biggest transformation over the next decade, it's a beverage aisle. Yeah, for sure. You know, you're seeing it. You know, people are, you know, trying to make products healthier, people are reducing sugar, people are reducing single use plastic, but it still has such a long way to go. I mean, it's like, you know, we've taken like a baby step in that aisle versus like the whole rest of the supermarket. And that to me is very exciting. You know, I I really want to be a big part of pushing that aisle towards the future and towards a healthier,
0: more sustainable beverage business. So what is your vision for Nixie over the next couple of years? Do you envision staying within sparkling water? Do you envision going into other sp- places in beverage? I mean, we talked about this a little bit before we started, but you know, it's a little
1: bit tricky out there with retailers. You know, you don't want to bombard them with too many new products. Yeah. You know, we've been very thoughtful about like how many we introduce each year because it's just it's a different world and and I think the pandemic has put a lot of pressure on just supply chain and um, in the war. I mean, so it's, you know, it's sort of, I I try to be kind of thoughtful about what we bring to our retailers. Um, At the same time, you know, as I previously just mentioned, I mean, I think the beverage aisle has a long way to go. And I really see Nixie being a driving force to like creating that future beverage business to be, you know, this healthier, more sustainable and also fast growth. I mean, that is the part of the business that's growing. So, but, but again, it has like the smallest part of the aisle. So if you think about that, you know, there's just such huge potential
0: for, you know, just healthy beverages in general over the next decade. So at this phase in round two, what keeps you up at night? And are they the same things that kept you up at night before or different things? It's
1: pretty similar. You know, it's like the one thing that's really, I think I forgot is you know by the end at late July we were pretty big like in a lot of situations we would be a place's biggest customer and i forgot kind of what it's like to be the smallest customer <laughs> <place>. <laughs> and you know so i think where it is such a tricky supply chain you know uh, world right now you know it's obviously you you're you're fighting a little bit for for you know the share of a customer when you're not the biggest and you're trying to remind people, okay? Well, we're not the biggest yet, but you know, we know how to to become the biggest, and you support us now, and you know, we'll we'll stick with you. So I think it's just a little bit of that. I mean, it's just very hard to be a small business right now. You know, the kind of the whole universe is not set up to support no. small businesses these days. Um, you know, from a capital standpoint, from a you know just supply chain standpoint, I mean, everything sort of favors the large business right at the moment.
0: Yeah. So it's so tough. So,
1: I mean, I don't know, but again, at the same time, I mean, I love what I do. So I think what keeps me up at night is just wanting to like do it more and, you know, R and I mean, I'm just so excited about our future that just the potential
0: is what keeps me up at night. Don't you just feel so grateful that you have had one now two like some brands that you babies that you just feel so passionate about and can, wake up excited every day, like this many years later after doing it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's so important to love what you do, obviously, because you spend a good chunk of your life doing it. And so, yeah, I mean, I like, and I, I really, I love what we do. I believe in the mission of what we do. The fact that I get to like, wake up and do this job is incredible. I mean, I don't take that for granted ever. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I feel
0: incredibly lucky. What do you do in your day to, or night, to feel your best, to take care of yourself beyond work? I mean, I think it's a couple things.
1: I mean, my family is very, very important to me. And, you know, I, my kids are getting older and there's a couple things that a family dinner is probably one of the most important moments of my day. I mean, we have worked really hard through the chaos to like maintain family dinner. I mean, not every night, obviously, but as much as possible. And that's something that I look forward to. I think it's, it just really brings us all together. You know, it, it, I don't know. I mean, it it just probably my favorite time of day and then walking outdoors. I mean, I think there was a moment in late July where I really did not prioritize my health. You know, I couldn't even find 20 minutes for my, my health. And I swore the second time around, I wasn't going to let that happen. You know? Um, And, you know, you can't always go for a long walk, but you certainly can get outdoors and at least get some fresh air. And actually, my husband, and I do it together a lot because we work together. And as you know, I mean, entrepreneurial businesses are stressful. And my husband and I worked together for almost 20 years now. So, you know, we find these walks to be an important part of like, not only our mental health, but, you know, just a way to kind of clear our heads. And we talk about work a lot. I'm not going to lie that we don't,
0: just that was going to be my that. next question. Yeah. All right. We're going to move into some rapid fire Q&A. What's the best advice you've received that's helped your business?
1: You know, my dad was a big believer in, you know, you always ask for the sale. And I think that it's, that's great advice because I mean, first of all, yes, always ask for the sale when you're getting a sale, but it's to me, like I, it became more than that. It's like, you can't get what you want if you don't know what you want. And I morphed that into clearly define your goals and you can achieve them. I love that. That's so great.
0: How would he feel about Nixie?
1: You know, he, I was so mad at my dad when he started a second company. I just let him have it. I was like, you know, why would you do this? This is terrible. Like, you know, cause I mean, obviously it's stressful to, and, you know, over the summer, sometimes like one of one or both of our kids will come with us too. My older son is a musician and his schedule allows him to be with us on occasion. And so he'll come with us and sometimes we'll talk about his business instead of ours. And, but I mean, I think those are two things that I really prioritize. Um, and are very important to me both from a mental health perspective, but also physical health.
0: Yeah. Well, they say just walking 10 minutes a day will lead to greater happiness. So it's in the pudding now that it's something that I feel like that people inherently knew, but now there's really like the data to say, yes, this actually has an effect on your mental health.
1: You you can find 15 minutes in your day. I'm pretty sure he would enjoy uh, giving me a hard time, <laughs> exact same thing. So, uh, yeah, I think he would have really enjoyed, you know, probably
0: giving, giving that a, back to you. Yes, <laughs> three things that you're currently loving.
1: We recently got into the. I feel like I'm so behind the times on this one, but the Smart List podcast. And yeah, we watched the like I guess documentary. I don't know if it's a documentary exactly, but on which if it was on HBO or whatever it was, but uh, the Smart List, like they're on the road show. And so then we went back and started listening to all the podcasts. Love it. It's been it's just a nice and they're they're pretty quick, too. so it's like I can make time for it. I also really recently enjoyed that show shrinking. I think that's on Apple TV. Yeah, and I actually was a huge reader in my early life. and I totally abandoned reading at one point. And during the pandemic, I became like a rabid reader again. So I've been reading like a ton. And I just, yeah, I love it. And so I think the third thing, I just finished this book called The Lioness of Boston. It's like a sort of historic fiction, I guess, about Isabella Stewart Gardner. Oh, and that's it. I love, I've always been kind of, I went to boarding school outside of Boston and I used to like just go.
0: I went to BU. Did you
1: ever go to the Isabella Stewart
0: Gardner Museum? Of course. Yeah. It was beautiful. I used to just go
1: hang out there. I just thought she was such a cool person. And I feel like, like I always felt really bad that she like lived in this time where she couldn't really do anything. I mean, she was just so restricted by the time. And if you're even remotely interested in her life, I tried to read her biography and I just it was too dry. I couldn't get through it. And the Linus of Boston is, again, it's like a fictionalized version of her biography. And oh, in full disclosure, good. It was written by one of my friends from boarding school. Um, but I just, I just read it in like an afternoon and I just finished it. And it's, it's excellent, really quick read. And Isabella Stewart Gardner, I think is super cool. um, Interesting person. And the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum is also an interesting place to go if you're in Boston. (laughs)
0: Love that. What do you want more of in your life?
1: I mean, I feel like there's just so much chaos in our world right now. (laughs) I would just love for like even like one day to go by in our universe where something completely insane didn't happen. Just like a little bit of calm in this crazy world right now. I mean, I don't think that's possible these days, but wouldn't it be nice? That would be nice. <laughs>
0: Let's put that out there into the world of manifest energy that. out there in
1: the world. Just like <laughs> like one day where it's not like some sort of like once in a lifetime cataclysmic event isn't happening. You no. Know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> favorite words to live by.
1: I mean it's something again I think we've already touched on this but I mean I'm always telling my kids like you wake up every day and you you have the kind of day you decide to have. You know, it's like obviously bad things are going to happen to us. You know, that's just like life. I mean, it's a roller coaster and you know, but it's like only you can decide how you're going to whatever inputs are coming your way, you know, you can decide how you're going to react to those. And you know, that's just like something that I live by. I mean, I, I constantly stop myself. I I feel like, I think it also really helps your mental health. You know, like, if yeah. you're not, if you're not focused on the negative all the time, you know, you're just going to be a happier person. There's a lot totally. to be, you, you can easily slip down the negativity rabbit hole. I mean, you know, life
0: and a heartbeat. Yeah.
1: And, you know, every day you have to like wake up and decide not to do that
0: yeah and really realize that, like you're the one who's in control of how you react to things. And yeah, you know, it's I just think that's probably
1: more than anything else, you know, particularly in this profession. it's it's been instrumental,
0: probably to my success and my mental health. <laughs> have your kids done a good job listening to that advice? Well, they kind of have honestly.
1: Like, I feel like our kids, like we've we've actually never had a nanny. Like we just, our kids just like, were in the chaos with us all the time. And it's interesting. Neither one of them wants to become food entrepreneurs. Like Mm -hmm. my (laughs) older son is a musician and my younger son is, wants to be an artist. But I do think that they, particularly my older son, you know, I see him sort of practicing that lesson a lot. And, you know, he mentions it a lot. So I know it's made some sort of an impression You know, when you put like a creative work out into the world, you know, you get a lot of judgments and I think it's very important, you know, similar to what we do. I mean, it's like, you have to, you
0: have to like learn how to process those in a really healthy way. Totally. A favorite book or podcast for growth? For growth. Personal or professional growth?
1: You know, with books and podcasts, honestly... Like I almost, I almost always use them for recreation because I feel like I have so much coming at me from a, you know, just work and reality standpoint that, I mean, I, like, I just don't really read a lot of like books that are focused on business. I I think you get lessons from everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do like things that help, like I've read a lot about like introverts and like helping introverts in the workplace. I can't think of the name of the book. I often get back to you on that one, but it was, a, there was a lot of really interesting lessons in there for me because I, like, I feel that way about myself, but I also want to make sure that like our work is a safe place for introverts too. You know, that like we don't like favor the extroverts or, you know, that we're like helping people, you know, speak up in meetings or, you know, it's. So I've, I've done, I have, that is the one area where I have done some work with different books. I, there's a really good one. I can't remember the name of it right now, but I will definitely get back to you on that.
0: That's a good tip. Yeah. Favorite late July and Nixie moment? One of each.
1: I think one of my favorite, okay, my favorite late July moment is kind of easy because it was after that disastrous year that I had just told her about. <laughs> so my dad had passed away and I now officially had taken over all sales because I had to. And uh, we had just launched the chips and we needed a distributor because you needed to go DSD with chips, but I couldn't get the distributor unless I got this one customer to say yes. So I basically needed the customer in order to like everything to go right.
0: Launch the business.
1: So I left my house at like, I don't know, two in the morning to get to the airport because Cape Cod to Logan is a pretty far drive and my flight left really early. So I was exhausted and I get to this meeting and it was like one of those meetings where like, you really need the customer to say yes. Like, like no would be so devastating that you can't really think about the enormity of that at the moment. And I was sitting in front of this customer and I said, you know, the meeting I thought had gone really well. So I was like, okay, this is going well. And he turns to me at the end and he's like, "Is there anything else that you want to know, you know, before we wrap up?" And I just remember the advice of my dad, and I was like, "Well, there is one thing I'd like to know." And are you going to say yes? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love and, that. Um, honestly, this has never happened since. But he looked right at me and he goes, "Yes, I am going to say yes." And you know, that never happens, oh right? It, it, it happened. No, this no, is like never. a big chain too. Then it like. I mean, honestly, I thought I'm going to get out of here before I mess this up because like,
0: you must've just been like, oh my God.
1: And I was exhausted because I, you know, I mean, I've been up since two and like, and I, I get, I get back in my car to, to drive back to the airport. And I mean, I was so excited. I like, I mean, I couldn't believe it had happened. It was just, and it honestly was so important. It, it, without that, I don't know without
0: that. Yes. I don't know really what where is that buyer today i he
1: left that and then i he i kept track of him to like another job and i don't know yeah i know Um, i would love to because i mean i don't know if he knows how important it right i mean at nixie oh i mean it's like we're still so in it you know what i mean it's like every day we have that kind of situation it feels like but i would i would have to say that i mean sprouts took a pretty big chance on us um Brian Albert, the buyer there, I can, i he's still the current buyer. So, you know, and it's been huge. I mean, they really believed in us and have been supportive and, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, it's like partnerships like that are something that it's like, you're so grateful for, you know, we yeah. talked about earlier. I mean, there's so many customers that I'm grateful for, but in the early days when, a, when a big customer does take a big chance on you, you know, it really does feel pretty enormous. So that was, I mean, there have been other big moments too, like our lime ginger is the number one skew in some chains. And I mean, obviously I i have each one of these milestones Amazing. benchmarked in my brain. right. but you know, I think it's when the partnerships are think like, what make this business so fun and so interesting. So when you really like yeah. have a great partnership with a retailer, that's pretty, that feeling is pretty hard to beat.
0: Okay. And lastly, what's your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey?
1: I mean, I think we've kind of already talked about that, but I mean, it's really the walks, like I, walks, and I, I do the Peloton. So like, I, I, I feel like, you know, to get some good, you know, like exercise, like I do other things, but the walks are so important for me because, you know, just being outdoors, I think and it's just, it helps me clear my head. It helps me, you know, center myself. Like it's just there's no other, I mean, I don't think it's like my best form of exercise that I do, but it's the best when you think about your mental and my physical well-being. Yeah. It's an everyday thing. Plus I think my dog would probably. It, I,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree on that one. Nicole, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was so much fun. I could have chatted with you for another hour and gone down so many rabbit holes, but you have built two incredible businesses and I just look up to you so much for all that you've accomplished. Oh,
1: thank you. I mean, honestly, like I said, as we've discussed earlier, I mean, being an entrepreneur is like being in a state of triage all day. This is such a, I can't even, you know, thank you enough for, for giving me this chance to first of all, talk to you, for this time, which is, you know, something that we never get to do. And gotta do it you know, more. We'll make a goal of that.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Nicole. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.